0: Hello, and welcome to the White's Chapel Sermon Podcast. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen to our weekly sermons. This is a quick way to enjoy or even revisit a recent message. So it's week three, and we are concluding this series that we've been in, Prodigal. Uh, You remember this is something we do every September, not this particular parable, but we pick uh, a scripture that is sort of well-known, and we just parse through it. We go deep. And we, we wrestle it, and we uh, pull it apart, and uh, it's one of my favorite things that we do. It's one of my favorite traditions at this church. And so uh, for the month of September, we've been looking at the, the probably one of the most famous uh, parables, stories that Jesus tells. It's the story of the lost son, the prodigal son. And so each week we've been kind of looking at a different character. Week one, we talked uh, about the younger son in this story. And you remember, he goes to his father— And he says, I want my inheritance now, today. And so in essence, he's saying, you know what, dad, it'd be a whole lot easier if you would just kind of die. And he gets his one third inheritance because he's the younger son. And he goes off to a far off land and he just blows it, squanders every single dime until he finds himself living among pigs. And remember, this, this story is told to a bunch of first century Jewish people. And so living with pigs, desiring what the pigs eat, that's about as abhorrent a thing as a first century Jew could imagine. And we see him in his squalor. But there is one good thing that he does. He confesses. He makes the decision to come home to his father, to go back and admit his mistakes. And then we ask ourselves if we're willing to do the same. That was week one. And then last week, we talked about the older brother who finds out about this party, and he is so upset that his younger brother is, is having a party thrown for him. And so he goes out into a field, and he basically pouts. He stomps his feet, and he whines, and he chooses grudges over grace. And again, we try to see ourselves in that. Do we ever choose resentment over graciousness? Uh, tonight, we're finishing... This series uh, by talking about the father. And, and I, but, but tonight I also want us to look at this parable kind of holistically. Um, because I think the, the great struggle for these two sons is figuring out where the father's love comes from. How is their father's love determined? And so uh, first, let's, let's read the last section of this parable. This is the middle third. You remember the first week, we read the first third. Last week, we read the, the final third. This is the middle, the middle section. Uh, this is Luke 15, verses 20 through 25. This is what it says. So he set off and went to his father. This is the prodigal son. But while he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly, bring out the robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf. Kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine uh, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began To celebrate okay this younger son the prodigal who squandered a third of everything his father ever had comes home and he approaches his home and as he does his father sees him and he runs to him and the father running is is really significant because this is something that the patriarch of a family would have never done in this day it was lowering himself it would have been embarrassing but he runs to his son, and, and while his son is, is trying to get out his confession to say this thing that he's been planning, and he's, he's built himself up to finally say, Dad, I, I, don't, uh, I don't deserve anything. I'm so sorry. While he's trying to get that out, his dad is already busy party planning. He says, get the best robe we have. Get this kid some rings. Get the, get this. We're having steak tonight. We're going we're gonna to have a party. We're going to eat like kings. We're going to celebrate. Because this son of mine was dead. He's alive. He was lost and he's found. And I love this part of our scripture. Because it is such a beautiful picture of the father's love. Of God's love. And we're going to come back to that. But first I want us to back up and look at this parable again in its entirety. Because when it comes to the father's love, I think both of these sons are confused. First, we have the younger son. Notice what he says to his father in our scripture Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He says, I'm not even worthy to be called my father's son. I've made mistakes, and my missteps are just too much. This younger son believes that the father's love is determined by his failures. The younger son comes home believing that his father won't love him. That he's not worthy of of even being referred to as his son. And he thinks, maybe if I'm lucky. Maybe if I'm really lucky, he'll let me just be a slave. And he believes that his failure, his mistakes, his past is just too much. That he's too far gone for the father's love. And I can tell you, without a shadow of a doubt... That he is not alone. Over the course of my ministry, I have had so many conversations with people who feel this exact same way. Several years ago, uh, I had a guy come to my office, and he'd been really active in one of the programs that I was running at the time, and he had honestly become kind of a leader in the group. Uh, Well, anyway, I hadn't seen him in a few weeks, and so I I reached out to him, I I shot him a text, and and I was just checking on him. And he told me that he needed to sit down and talk to me. And he was very serious in his tone. And so I was kind of worried. Uh, But we scheduled a time. And he came and he met me in my office. And he walked in. And there was just this heaviness about him. This sadness. And he sits uh, across from me. And the first thing he told me was that this was the last time he was ever going to come to White's Chapel. This was the last time he would ever step foot in this church. And so I thought that it was me I thought I must have said something crazy (laughs) I must have done something to offend this guy and so I asked him what happened before you never come back can you give me a sense of what's going on uh is there something I don't know about that I don't realize and he told me no it's me I said what do you mean and he told me that he had made uh, this mistake in his personal life, that he had done something he shouldn't have done, and that because of this mistake, he had made the decision that he was no longer worthy of coming to church. That he had officially crossed the line; that he was too broken, too far gone to ever come back to this place and participate. And I got to tell you, that broke my heart. And honestly, it kind of made me feel like I had failed. Because I was his pastor at the time. And he thought that that's how it worked. He thought that God's love was contingent on him not messing up. And so we sat there and we talked for a long time. And we talked about this mistake that he'd made. And we talked uh, about grace and forgiveness. And, And that wasn't the first time I've had a conversation like that with a church member. And unfortunately, I'm guessing that it probably won't be the last. Sometimes we get so stuck in our failures and we think there's just no way that God could love us. That we're too far gone or we're too broken, and that just could not be further from the truth. And scripture witnesses to this constantly. The Christian faith, the Bible, is made up of broken people who, who've made mistakes. Samson in Judges was, was a violent womanizer. And Rahab was a prostitute, and and Noah was a drunk, and Jacob was a cheater, and, and, and Jonah had just the worst attitude ever. And Peter denied Christ three times, Zacchaeus was greedy, and Paul, who wrote so many books in the New Testament, was a Pharisee who persecuted Christians. And yet, go and look, read their stories. God uses every single one of those people in incredible ways. Rahab, the prostitute, she shows up in the lineage that leads to Jesus. And Noah, he builds a big boat. You may have heard of that. He exhibits unbelievable faith. Uh, And Jonah, his terrible little five-word sermon, it leads to the salvation of 120,000 people in Nineveh. And Peter was the rock on which the church was built. And Zacchaeus went back and repaid every single person he cheated three times. And Paul. Paul is arguably the most influential Christian mind in history. All of them. People who failed. People who made huge mistakes. And God used them. And I want us to see that. I wanted so badly for the guy in my office to see that. That we don't have to be stuck in our failures. Because when we turn back home, when we own our mistakes and head back to the father's house, he runs to us. He he sprints to us. The younger son believes that the father's love is predicated on his failures. And maybe you can relate to that. Or maybe you can't. And if you can't, it's probably because you're more like the older son, who we talked about last week. See, he has a similar struggle. He thinks that the father's love is determined in the opposite way, by his achievements. Remember last week, the older son is is so upset that his younger brother is being welcomed and celebrated, and he ends up yelling at his father. He says, you've got to be kidding me. I have done everything right. I've checked every single box. I've worked like a slave for you. He's hurt. He's upset because he believes that he should be loved and celebrated for his achievements. He's earned it. And some of us, can we kind of get this. But this understanding of, of the father's love is just as flawed as the younger brother's. But it is one that a lot of us struggle with. We think that if we just do the right things, if we just check the right boxes, learn the right things, God's gonna love us and bless us, and everything will be great. Maybe you felt this way, or maybe you've known someone who lived out their faith this way. Uh, A friend of mine told me a story recently uh, about someone in their old Sunday school class. This was at another church. uh, And this guy in their Sunday school class was in seminary at the time. Uh, We'll call him Rick. And and Rick was sort of the quintessential example of of this. Uh, And they've told me several stories about him, but I wanna tell you my favorite. And it was something that happened at a class party they were having. Everyone was hanging out at someone's house and this guy was pouring himself a soda and he was writing with a Sharpie on a red Solo cup like you do at those sort of parties. And he looked at his cup and he said loudly, oops, I accidentally wrote my name in Hebrew. But here's the thing, nobody heard him say it. (laughs) The only person who heard him say it was my friend who told me this story. And so this guy, this seminarian, walked over to the big group and he pretended like he had just discovered this again. And he said even louder again, oops, I accidentally wrote my name in Hebrew on my cup. Silly Rick. He made sure that everybody in the room knew his mistake. Uh, Here's the thing about Hebrew, though. Uh, You don't just accidentally start writing in Hebrew. (laughs) In fact, Hebrew is written in the opposite direction as English. It's written right to left. And so I would venture a guess that the only reason that this guy did this was to show off the fact that he knew a little bit of Hebrew. Which very few people think is that cool, let's be honest. Uh, And I probably love this story so much uh, because I knew a lot of people like this when I was in seminary. But the point is, sometimes we fall into this understanding of our faith. That it's about how much we know or how much we do. How well we can uh, recite the Bible or how often we attend church programming. And we think that it's those things that makes the Father love us. It's those things that make other people love us. For the older brother, he thinks that all of his effort, all of his obedience and work should mean that he and only he is the one who is loved and celebrated. And the father loves him. There's no question about it. He seeks him out in the field. He tries to get him to join the party. He tells him that much. But it's not because of all the things he's done. See, all the things that he did are good things. Obeying his father and working and staying at home, those are great. And all those things I mentioned that we do, attending church, uh, reading our scripture, memorizing scripture, even learning a little bit of Hebrew, those are all great things that can draw us closer to God. But those things aren't the reason that God loves you. So the question then is, why does he love us? If the Father's love isn't determined by our failures, and if it it isn't determined by our achievements, what is it determined by? What are the qualifications for the Father's love? And the simple truth for us tonight is that God loves us. God loves you. The Father loves us for just being his child. It's just that simple. The younger son... The older son are both loved by their father just because they're his sons. And he pursues both of them. He runs to the younger son when he sees him approach, and he comes out and speaks to the older son when he refuses to join the party. The father seeks them out and shows them love because they're his children, and that's what you do. And there's no failure, and there's no achievement that's going to change that. You know I think the ultimate lie that both of these brothers believe is really the same they both believe a lie that I think so many of us have been tempted to believe at some point it's that voice in our head that says you're not enough the younger brother thinks that he's not enough because of his failures and the older brother thinks he's not enough without his achievements But they both miss the fact that the Father's love isn't based on either of those things. The Father loves them. The Father loves us right right now, tonight, right where we are, exactly as we are. His love is already there. It's It's already been there. It will continue to be there, which is why... As seemingly simple as this point may be, and I get that it is a very basic point, frankly, I think I've probably preached this sermon more than any other sermon I've ever preached. Over a dozen times, just telling people God loves you. But I preach that sermon so much because it's one we cannot be reminded of enough. It's one that we cannot hear too much. And honestly, we have to repeat it because we miss it so often, and we fall into the same patterns of belief as the younger son and the older son, and we miss it, and we forget it, and we don't recognize it. Uh, I wanna show y'all a clip from a show that I love. You might be surprised that I love this show, uh, but I grew up with it, and, and I think it really illustrates this point. I'll explain more afterward why I'm showing it, but it's from the television program Antiques Roadshow. Uh, if you've ever seen Antiques Roadshow, Uh, basically people bring in, you're laughing because you're imagining me at home right now watching Antiques Roadshow, and that's fair. Uh, I'm probably not their main demographic. Uh, But anyway, people bring in antiques and they basically have these experts appraise them and tell people what they are worth. And the best episodes are when people have no idea how valuable their item is. They don't realize that they have kind of a treasure. And so in this clip, you're gonna see a gentleman who comes in with an old blanket. Let's watch.
1: Well, Ted, did you notice when you showed this to me that I kind of stopped breathing a little bit? Yeah, you did. (laughs) I'm still having a little bit of trouble breathing here, Ted. It took Uh, me by surprise because I, you know, didn't think much about it. Probably a chief's blanket. That's exactly what it is. And it's not just a chief's blanket. It's the first type of chief's blanket made. These were made in about 1840 to 1860, and it's called a ute, first phase. a, A ute? A ute. First phase wearing blanket. A Ute chiefs wearing blanket. wearing blanket. was Navajo made. They were made for Ute chiefs, and they were very, very valuable at the time. This is sort of, this is Navajo weaving in its purest form. All of these things that we see later with diamonds and all kinds of different patterns comes much later than this. This is just pure linear design. This is the, the, the beginning of Navajo weaving, wow. and not only that, the condition of this is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Wow. We see these, in, we've in got the a little that. bit of damage over there. It's made from hand woven wool, yeah. but it's so finely done, it's like silk. Wow. It would repel water. And this here is dyed with indigo dyes. It was a very valuable dye at the time. It's an extraordinary piece of art. It's extremely rare. It is the most important thing that's come into the roadshow that I've seen. Um, do you have a sense at all of what you're looking at here in terms of value? I haven't a clue. Are, uh, are you a wealthy man, Ted? No. Well, sir, um, I'm, I'm still a little nervous here, I have to tell you. Uh, on a really bad day, this textile would be worth $350,000. On a good day, it's about a half a million dollars. Oh, my God. And you had no I, idea? I had no idea. I'm just laying on the back of a chair. Well, sir, you have a national treasure. Wow. A national treasure. Gee. When you walked in with this, I just about died. Congratulations. Congratulations. I can't believe this for me. Well, Ted, did you notice- Uh,
0: So y'all will probably end up going down the rabbit hole of Antiques Roadshow, which I definitely did this week. Uh, But did you hear what he said? Uh, For years, this treasure, This thing of immense value sat on the back of his chair. It was worth a half million dollars and it was draped over the back of a chair. He didn't realize that the most valuable thing he would ever have was already there. And it's the exact same way for those two sons in regard to their father's love. This thing that that they're seeking, this thing that they wanted so badly was already there. Unchanging. The father loved them both and no failure, no achievement could change the way their father loved them. And that's the gospel message. That our treasure is already right there. That's the amazing, powerful message that Jesus wants us to take away from this parable. And I believe that it is what he is speaking to us right now, tonight. He's saying that wherever you've been, however you've failed, whatever mistakes you've made, he loves you. And he's reminding us that it's not about the boxes you're checking. It's not something that has to be earned and scrapped for. The Father loves you. He loves all of us just because we are his children. And this is a message we need to get out in the world that the greatest treasure we will ever have, the most valuable thing in the world is already there hanging on the back of an old chair waiting for us to recognize it. Look, if we are honest tonight, every single one of us is the prodigal son. And every single one of us has been at some points the older son. But thank you, Lord, that we have a Father who is willing to sprint to us, to come find us out in a field when we're pouting, all because he loves us that much. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? God, help us see the treasure that is laying on the back of our chairs, so often we fall into those same, those same traps that those sons do, that we've got to earn it, that we've got to check a bunch of boxes and learn a little bit of Hebrew and, and try and be these perfect people. And God, we fail. And then we We feel like we're too broken and we're too far from you. Lord, remind us tonight that it's not about any of that, that our treasure is right here, that all we have to do is see it, recognize it. The treasure of your love, the treasure of your grace, the treasure of your son, Jesus Christ, who came and lived and died and rose again for each one of us. God, we can't be reminded of uh, of this enough. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for running to us. Thank you for seeing us far off, looking in bad shape, coming home, and sprinting to us and wrapping us up in your arms and putting a robe on our shoulders and rings on our fingers and throwing a party for us. Lord, we love you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.